a very important thing is is looking for autonomy. Like you don't want to be micromanaged. You want to be able to have the the leeway to make mistakes and kind of have to learn on your own. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Welcome to the next episode of Learning Unboxed. Um, this is Annalise Corbin, and as always, super, super excited to have a conversation um, today about teaching, learning, and the future of work. And in particular today, I'm excited because we get to talk about manufacturing. And the reason I'm excited about that conversation is because I find myself in the midst of conversations about manufacturing all the time. You can't talk to policymakers in any state where we go and manufacturing not come up. You can't talk with schools. You can't talk with colleges, universities, and trade schools um, without uh, manufacturing coming up as you know a conversation that we really and truly need to have. And so we're excited today to welcome um, two guests. Joining us is Rosemary Coates, who is the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, which is a 501c3 nonprofit collaboration with nine universities across the U.S. And the Reshoring Institute's mission is to support companies starting, restarting, or expanding manufacturing in the United States. And a side note to Rosemary's introduction here, she is also quite the accomplished author. Uh, she's an Amazon.com best-selling author of five global supply chain books. So Rosemary knows what she's talking about. So welcome. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Perfect. And joining Rosemary is Ryan Edwards. Um, Ryan was a summer intern with Reshoring Institute, and he is an MBA student at TCU University. And we're thrilled to have Ryan because he's going to talk about his experience thinking about the future of work, working directly with some of the clients um, and some of the Reshoring Institute's projects, and just a lot of that firsthand experience about what he learned and about what the future holds for him. So Ryan, welcome. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Rosemary, I would like to start with you. So give us the big, giant, you know, 100,000-foot view of what the heck is the Reshoring Institute and what does this thing, manufacturing, have to do with the space of teaching, learning, and the future work? Yeah, well, thanks um, for that introduction. The Reshoring Institute really grew out of a long history, my history of working in global supply chains. So for about 15 years, um, I was in the big consulting world as a partner in a couple of companies. I worked very hard at um, helping companies design their global supply chains and their global manufacturing strategies. And for about 15 years, helped a lot of companies offshore to China. Um, and we were moving uh, operations like crazy to China because of the attractiveness of the marketplace and the low-cost operations that were available there. Not only low-cost labor, but overall uh, low-cost operations, including the plant and facilities and regulations and so forth. There was just so much cheaper to be there. And so that's what executives were focused on is saving money and, and really pinching pennies and being competitive in the marketplace. And in America, consumers were demanding low-cost goods on, on, right, on this right. side of the ocean. 
And so I got to be kind of an expert in Chinese manufacturing. Um, and that, yeah, that's when I wrote my first book about sourcing and manufacturing in China. And then the 2012 election between Barack Obama, the presidential election between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. And during that election process, both uh, Obama and Romney were China bashing like crazy. I mean, they were uh, just saying, you know, China was at fault for everything. And, you know, there was just a terrible relationship and so forth. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm helping companies offshore to China thinking, oh man, I can't tell anybody what I do for a living. <laughs> you know, this is awful. And it started to get to me also, I got to say. I mean, you know, I could see that people were being laid off and that there was a abandonment of a lot of factories. And it just was, it was just a dark kind of situation. And so when Obama and Romney started talking about, about China in a negative way, I started having these conversations with some of my clients, some executives saying, you know, let's consider whether or not you could manufacture in the U.S. Mm -hmm. You know, would it be possible? And out of that grew a methodology and then ultimately um, the founding of the Reshoring Institute. Now, the Institute's got two goals. So first of all, we're a 501c3, so we're a nonprofit organization. We don't, we don't look to profit from this trend or, or anything like that. We're just providing services. Mm -hmm. So um, half of our mission or, or one point of our mission is to assist companies with um, consulting work, with research, with any kind of assistance with labeling, with finding locations, all of that, in order to help them rebuild manufacturing in America or expand their manufacturing in America. The other 50% of our mission is to teach graduate students primarily uh, about manufacturing mm -hmm. because these MBA students, these you know, fantastic, smart um, young people like Ryan mm -hmm. are going to be the executives of the future. Right, they're right. Going to be running these companies, mm -hmm. right? So we felt it was important to teach them about manufacturing, particularly since there was really a dearth of education out there over the past twenty years. And most business schools have focused on finance and marketing and, and not on operations. And so we developed the Reshoring Institute. We take graduate student interns for paid internships, uh, and then we put them to work um, doing <laughs> research or writing case studies, or in Ryan's case, because he's also interested in consulting, we asked him to join a consulting project that we have as well. So he's helping us on that. Uh, and so um, the results have been quite successful, actually. Um, we have a, a lot of research um, that we publish on our website, as well as we have attracted a lot of attention nationwide. Mm -hmm. And now with uh, the global pandemic, of course, it's exposed a lot of risk in terms of lean manufacturing and where our inventory is located and how quickly can you respond to a need and as a result of that, you know, we, we were seeing a lot of activity in reshoring. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me at all. We're going to talk about some, some of those pieces, some of those trends that you're seeing in a moment. Um, so, Ryan, I want to dig in a little bit with you because, you know, there's, there's a lot of power in internships. And actually, at the Past Foundation, we talk about this all the time. We talk about the need for very applied, hands-on, tangible, rigorous internships that have meaning. In other words, we believe that you know any 
student, whether you're a high school student through, you know, a, a, an MBA, a grad student that, that you know, you, you're capable of solving really complex problems if we give you something real to work on and we give you mentors to ensure that you sort of get what you need. So, um, you know, so Rosemary sort of set the stage for you, but we want to hear from you about, so, you know, as you come into this particular internship, you know, what what is the thing that you wanted more than anything else to be able to get out of this experience? Yeah, so for me, it was... Um it was really about just kind of learning what supply chain looks like nowadays as it's such an important uh, you know, component of businesses. And especially like as Rosemary said, kind of the coincidental timing in the pandemic, everyone is kind of moving back towards a US-based manufacturing. And there's been, I think, a trend for a while now of kind of wanting to, you know, shore up the US economy. And a big part of that is going to be through manufacturing. So being able to learn uh, and really show off my research capabilities. And then mm-hmm. fortunately, I was able to uh, get to interact with clients, which is always nice um, as you know, no matter what, what role you have in the future, right. you're always going to be interacting with some kind of client. So getting that hands-on experience and, and really... Um, I was fortunate in that they allow me to have a lot of autonomy to really you know, kind of learn on my own. And it's not, it's not just work that is kind of menial in nature, but it's, it's right. impactful and I'm, I'm helping with with the client right now, I'm I'm doing a lot of the work, really pushing it, um, and so the things I'm I'm coming up with, the recommendations I'm making, the the potential partnerships I'm I'm finding for them are all you know things that really help the company actually move forward, and and so it's you know something that I can really tangibly put on my resume and talk about going forward as a real experience where I where I actually made a difference, and so like you said, that's is huge for um, students to be able to have those experiences early on. It is. It's absolutely. And then I can't tell you how many times I've encountered students. You can always tell the students. And again, no matter sort of where they fall into that spectrum, what I've seen over many, many years of doing this is, you know, I can I can pick out the 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 students who did internships that were very applied, very hands-on, very meaningful from the ones that did either menial tasks or fluff because you ha- you come out of that experience with a very different sort of confidence in yourself. You're, you know, back to your point of being able to work autonomous, you have a sense of deadline and scope and scale and it it, it truly truly um, does play out in a number of different ways. So that's that, that's awesome. How long was the internship, Ryan? Just so for our listeners, for context. It, can I jump in yeah, here? Yeah, please it do, kind Rosemary. It goes on and on with Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, our internships are, are one semester. Okay. But in Ryan's case, because he's working on a consulting project for us, it's continuing on. Um, I, I, got, I have a comment, too, because sure. now Ryan is... Um, uh, I think the 25th intern we've had, or wow. we've had 25 altogether. And we've learned also mm-hmm. over time how to manage this internship process as well. And what we know is that you you have to, you know, as a, a giver of an internship, you have to think about this and design it well uh, and, you know, put together meaningful work in advance. So it's not like, you know, the internship shows up one day and you right. think, well, I can put them here or there, or, you know, do this or that. You have to think about it, design it, um, plan for it, Mm -hmm. and maintain control. So one of the things that we do is we have a weekly, I have a director that oversees the program. And once a week, she has a call with all the interns individually um, and talks to them about progress towards their goal, whether it's a research goal or 
consulting or whatever. And so we have a very, very structured program. That's fabulous. Yeah. So content Mm -hmm. and structure. And I think those two things are really important in internship programs. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and Ryan, I, I have you done other internships or is this the first one that you've done? I've done a few others. Is how does how does this one from because I really appreciate very much Rosemary's uh, you know comment about you know the 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 structure and the quality control right both for you as the intern and for the client and for you know reshoring institute as an entity and organization it has to work for everybody involved or or it's not going to work so how how what what would you reflect on I guess back to Rosemary as it relates to um, the quality of that internship experience. Yeah, so I think just um, how hands-on and well thought out Rosemary mm-hmm. and Daisy, who is the um, director that Rosemary mentioned before, have been is, is huge. You know, you there are a lot of internships where you'll report to a director, but they won't, or you know, your direct report, but they don't necessarily take a super active role and kind of like you're learning and you're right. advancing because they have a lot of other stuff that they've got to do also. And you know, the internship may be kind of more or less the last thing on their minds. But uh, with Rosemary and Daisy, it's it's very apparent that your personal development, your professional development is, is important to them. Uh, and so they take the time, like she said, to really be thought out and thorough about it, teach us skills that are actually translatable and give us a meaningful experience that will allow us to you know, get that next role and to flourish in it from day one. Um, so that, you know, that's a testament to their hard work mm-hmm. and their thought uh, in it. And, and it really makes all the difference for students. Yeah, and I did put you on the spot there a bit, so I apologize, Ryan, but I thought it was really, really important. And I didn't think that you were going to say, oh my God, don't make me talk about that. So, so we're, we're good. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you, know, one, you know, we do some things too that I think are a little bit different. So we have all of our interns have an online project management tool and they have to right. put their tasks in there. Uh, they have timelines and so forth. So that's, that's one thing. We also have them uh, prepare their own invoices for us, oh, just excellent. like you would in gig economy or a consulting role, you know, they, they have to develop these skills that I think are transferable to other places. We also have like writing guidelines and, um, you know, certain structures in terms of the research uh, that helps, I think, um, guide that research a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we also do editing. So, you know, we're not, we're not bashful. Yeah. (laughs) you know, we get the pieces that are written by our interns and then we do extensive editing yeah. and go back and forth so that the un- end result of the research, which we publish, right, and the student is highlighted on the back page. If you look at any of our um, case studies mm-hmm. on our website, we have a huge website with all the research we publish. But if you look at the case studies on our website, you see they're very um, professionally done. They're nicely laid out with graphics. Um, they're, you know, beautiful marketing pieces mm-hmm. that the intern can then be proud of, yeah. take to inter- take to interviews with them um, and, you know, show them to their parents and, you know, their friends and so forth. So, you know, it's kind of a, a nice reward as well as the discipline that's required in the in the big business world or the big consulting world. Yeah. And, you know, it is really interesting because lots of companies struggle with how to structure and do internships. And it's a little different when you're talking about large companies that oftentimes will have staff that they could pull and dedicate. But smaller organizations or companies often, what I will hear from them is, oh gosh, you know, we just, we couldn't possibly manage an intern. It's going to be too much work. And, and what I tell them all the time is, yes, it is work, 
but you, the company, are getting something very meaningful out of it as well. And so, you know, trying to get folks to sort of step back and think about what's the purpose of the internship? You know, how is it going to be a win for everybody? And what would that structure look like? Yeah. Yeah. Structure, but also, you know, there's no substitute for detailed planning. And I think, you know, if a company says we don't have time to manage an intern, I would say, you know, go back and and take a couple hours and plan out what that internship should look like. What are the tasks and so forth? Just like you would planning a project. Uh, And that that way you've created a guideline, uh, you know, a whole sort of plan for the intern, uh, which is going to be much more successful than just sitting down in a meeting with an executive and saying, oh, we're thinking about this or can you look into this? Or I mean, you really need to add some structure up front and taking a little bit of investment time up front pays off big in the end. Absolutely. And Ryan, talk to us a little bit about, I mean, it sounds like it was has been and is, since it's still ongoing, a wonderful experience for you. But, you know, all internships come with their challenges as well. And they're all unique, right? Because they're unique to the organization you're working in. They're unique to, the, in this case, the client that you're working with. So share with our listeners just a little bit, especially because a lot of our listeners are um, folks in education. So a fair number of folks in K-12, but also a fair number of folks in post-secondary, as well as some of our industry folks. And and what I hear repeatedly from the folks within the educational side of the internship, you know, so sending their students off into organizations and companies is, you know, they're trying to figure out how to ensure that not only is the experience that you have meaningful, but that you know how to problem solve in the moment sort of appropriately. And so in your case, because you're an MBA student, you're, you know, a wealth of age and experience that has come as opposed to, you know, some of our younger interns, but, you know, but it's not always smooth. So when you sort of think about moving from one internship to the next, it sounds like you've had several, you know, as you think about or evaluate internships, what are you thinking about? What are you asking yourself, Ryan, as the learner in that moment? Yeah, I think when it comes to finding the internship that's right for you, you got to think about you know, am I going to be challenged? Is, you know, is it actually meaningful work? But you also got to know that every single internship you take, you're going to learn something from it. You know, even if it's not what you expected to learn per se, there's always learning growth. And a very important thing is, is looking for autonomy. Like you don't want to be yeah. micromanaged. You want to be able to have the, the leeway to make mistakes and kind of have to learn on your own because in, in the real world, you know, when we get into your big job, like, you're going to have to solve things on your own. You're not going to always be able to rely on someone uh, for help. So you got to at least attempt it first, try to figure out, you know, how do I solve this problem? Where do I get this information from? And then always, you know, you ask for help when, when needed. But uh, I think too often, like in internships, we kind of get micromanaged um, sometimes mm-hmm. as students. So really finding a, a company and in, in, in particular, kind of the your direct report who's going to give you that leeway and that autonomy to to solve problems on your own and to make mistakes and they're not going to you know freak out because you made a mistake but they they understand that it's a learning process and that you know you're better for it and they're better for it um, mm-hmm. at the same time yeah, no, absolutely. That that's great advice, Rosemary. I want to get into the weeds a little bit about the manufacturing side of what's going on. So you've built this amazing internship program inside of you know back to some of the pieces you talked about at the very beginning. You know this this socioeconomic and political global political climate that can be really really complex. And then you add these interns in the midst of something that, quite frankly, is not an easy set of conversations and solutions anyway. Right. right? So 
So how how do you help these folks really sort of at the end of the day, if one of your goals is to ensure that the Ryans of the world, they leave you and they one day become these executives working in the manufacturing space, making these really tough, critical decisions. What what is what's the conversation? Because I can imagine, you know, to to your point, you know, earlier that you know the conversation around I, we were going to bring manufacturing from overseas, wherever that happens to be, we're going to plant it back here in the U.S. But it's complex for a whole host of reasons. So so how do you help sort of show them or demonstrate, you know, what and how that conversation should go with these companies? Yeah. So you're right. It is very complex and not. Anything that you can sit down and teach in an hour, right? Right. right. Um, So, you know, that's why experiential learning is so important. And writing case studies, I think, is a great way to do that. And that's because when our students are writing case study, we start out with a big picture in terms of why the company did something. For Mm -hmm. example, the case study that Ryan worked on for a company is called Water Logic, and their case study is published on our website. Um, so WaterLogic is a, a UK company, UK-based company with lots of success in Europe. They make uh, water filtration mm-hmm. equipment, mm-hmm. like the airport where you fill up your water bottle, make that stuff. Um, and they have a very advanced technology um, that purifies the water at the uh, dispensing point, which makes the water much cleaner, much, much cleaner. Mm. So they have breakthrough technology um, headquartered in Europe, manufacturing in China. They have a big factory in Shenyang, I think, in northern China. Uh, And they had a burgeoning market in the U.S. So they were selling lots of equipment in the U.S. And they had sales offices across the U.S., but decided they wanted to set up manufacturing here. And so um, we worked with them for over a year to find a location in, in Dallas is where they set mm-hmm. up and they hired 200 people and have the factory set up. So for Ryan, you know, we asked him to write this case study. And so, you know, starting off with the big picture, what is the issue or the situation and how did they go about solving it and what were the results? And so in this way, you offer context Mm -hmm. in a learning environment. So it's experiential learning because Ryan was able to talk to the executives there. He interviewed them as well as understanding their strategy, their business strategy, and then also the execution of the plan. So, you know, all those components. Now, be nice if we could do 20 of these and you'd learn a lot. But, (laughs) you know, in general, an internship is limited. So... You know, we do the best we can in giving that kind of overview and process. Plus, you know, we talk to our interns a lot. So mm-hmm. we try to pass on our understanding of the world and offer as much um, learning as possible. There's lots and lots of stuff to read on our website um, about global manufacturing, right, the right. global manufacturing environment. So, so Ryan, was it that first experience in writing one of these big case studies? Obviously, you had lots of examples because they've been doing it at their Reshoring Institute for for a period of time. But so, so share with us just just a little bit because I would imagine that there's a little bit of intimidation and in suddenly saying you're going to write a case study and you're going to go out and you're going to interview these executives and you're going to come back and tell us what you learned. What was that experience like? Yeah. So, I mean, especially. Um a lot of business students, people who want to get into business, case studies are a huge way that it's taught in school. Yep. So, you know, you've re- read a bunch of them and you always kind of think like, 
oh, you know, maybe that'd be interesting. Or how would I even go about, you know, finding all this information and, you know, what's a, what makes for a good story and what doesn't. So, uh, I, you know, there was a little bit of apprehension, like you said, you're like, oh, I, I have to go talk to the CEO and kind of get their story out of them. <laughs> like that's, you know, I'm just an intern, but, uh, you know, once you get past that and most of these people are, you know, super helpful, that's the thing about being a student is everyone wants to help you. So, yeah. uh, you know, they, they understand just how critical they can be. And so, uh, you know, they're very forthcoming and, and, and helpful and encouraging. So it was great to get to know more, know more about them. And, you know, they were a very interesting company. So it was, it was really cool kind of getting to learn their story. And, you know, once you kind of interview people and, and see how passionate they are and, you know, learn their story, the, the writing part comes much more, much more easy. Um, it, you know, the story kind of just flows off the page for you in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What What's next for you, Ryan? What's the aspiration? Yeah, so uh, I'm kind of like Rosemary, uh, hopefully getting into consulting. And, and so this has been quite the experience in that realm, uh, you know, getting to work with those clients and having that hands-on role. So uh, I'll be looking for consulting roles and we'll see what happens from there. Okay, well, good luck to you on that. Absolutely. So Rosemary, what's what's next in sort of the 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 strategic big picture thinking for the Reshoring Institute. I really kind of want to close our conversation with, you know, what what's that next thing that you guys are going to be working work working on, um, and and then how would you tie that back into your ongoing work with your interns? I've developed this passion over the past few months, being at, locked up at home in Silicon Valley, yeah. in favor of American industrial policy. So that may seem dry and boring, but let me explain. Please do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So first of all, America has no industrial policy. We have always believed in an open market economy where um, supply and demand uh, drives the development of products and the, and the sales of products. However, <laughs> when the pandemic hit, it was pretty obvious that we have a problem, mm-hmm. right? We don't make PPE here or didn't make PPE here. We weren't making respirators. Mm-hmm. We don't control the pharmaceutical market. Mm-hmm. We don't have a policy regarding AI or 5G, right? right. So industrial policy is the development of um, some... And, and sort of tapping strategic industries to support the well-being of Americans. And while, you know, it, it, it's been a polis for a long time because we really believe in a free market economy, the pandemic has, show, pandemic has showed us that we are vulnerable in mm-hmm. some areas. Mm-hmm. And we really re- need to rethink that. I mean, aren't there some industries that we definitely want here. For example, building block pharmaceuticals for antibiotics. All of that is in China right now, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And so it should be fairly obvious that we want to bring some production back here. I mean, just to protect American citizens. Um, You know, another uh, area is uh, rare earth minerals, which are found everywhere, but uh, China controls about 95% of the market. Mm -hmm. And if we're at ad, with an adverse relationship with China, they could decide to shut down the rare earths. Uh, rare earths are in all electronics. Right. They're in uh, magnets. They're in just all kinds mm-hmm. of products. We would be dead in the water 
a lot of defense products are dependent on rare earths. So, you know, there are things like that, that I think it's, it's time. It is time to have a serious discussion about industrial policy beyond just farm aid. So in today's environment, we do provide some government support, farm aid and, and um, some subsidies there. But we really need to think about some other strategic industries, medical products, pharmaceuticals, for example, some of the high tech things, rare earths, some, some other areas too that I think are very important. So that's kind of the kind of the direction mm-hmm. we're going forward for the next few months, I think. I'm really pushing for that that we think about it and try to determine a way forward. You know, almost every other country in the world has an industrial policy. Hmm. China has made in China 2025. Uh, Japan has a industrial policy ever since World War II. Germany has a very heavy industrial policy. Uh, France has aerospace. Mexico has development uh, policy. Time for us to have one too. Time to get on board in the U.S. here. Yeah. Yeah. I want to thank both of you very much for your time. Ryan, we expect amazing things from you in the future. And I actually have no doubt you're going to do them. Um, So that'd be a a wonderful thing to see uh, over time. And and to both of you, thank you so much for for spending time with us today. But also thank you for what you do. I I think that the work that that you're collectively doing at the Reshoring Institute in particular um, is spearheading is going to be really, really meaningful for, for many folks. So I appreciate that very much. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.